You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Guten Morgen, sir. How are you doing? I'm feeling dandy. That's great. Yeah. It's good. It's specifically, it's dandy, but you know. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I'm just being that guy for just now. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It was colder than I had hoped. Yeah, um, you came in today without a jacket on. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I got I got the hoodie layer. That doesn't really help much when it's like 30 degrees, it 20 is 30 degrees. degrees. Yeah. yeah. I could have checked, but I thought... You could have. Surely not. Surely, surely it's... Given the weather else. recently. Exactly. But no. Surprise. Mm-hmm. It's West Virginia, Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a treat. And by treat, I mean... How unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> a treat on opposite day. Mm, yeah. yeah. But you got the hot coffee? I do. As per usual? I do. It helps. At least on an emotional level, it helps. It does. Yeah. Warms you right to the bones there, you know? It's good. That is good. Warms you to your <laughs> spirit, etc. Yeah. Mm. Have you had, not to get us off on a coffee topic, because I feel like we always do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let's do it. But the pistachio latte, Starbucks. Have you oh, had the pistachio latte? I have latte? had it. Yeah. I think that's excellent. It is excellent. It is so yeah, good. It is. It is. I. It's so good. It I is. just I don't have anything else to say. I was just curious. <laughs> What's your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, the minute I saw that was available, I'm like, we're doing this. Yeah. It's very excellent. I mean, it delivers exactly what it promises. It's got those it does. bassy, you know, kind of nutty undertones that are just yeah. what you want. It tastes like coffee and pistachio yeah. in the perfect marriage, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's great. You know what else is great? What else is great, Josiah? The Mosaic Covenant. Whoa. Who could have foreseen who this? Who could have foreseen this? Anyone who read the title of this episode, <laughs> just like they always do. <laughs> they do. Yeah, no. Uh, today we're going to talk about the next covenant in our mini-series, which just so happens to be mm. the Mosaic Covenant. This might be the headliner. I think we've all heard this one. Yeah, oh yeah. It's... Heard of it. Heard it oh, by yeah. name. We know it by name. We do. We do. It looms large <laughs> in in the Bible, in the minds of us it who does. are Christians. Probably even in just, if you grew up like in the West in general, probably you have really? some sort of like light familiarity with it because... Huh. I should say awareness of it. Maybe that's what I would say. Yeah. Like some sort of awareness of yeah. it, at least subconsciously. Hmm. Maybe not so much anymore, yeah. but like, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago. Sure. Anyway. Sure. I, assume, I assume people in, in the realm of history, like if that's your oh, yeah. stuff, it's just, just a culturally big moment. Yes. And uh, in the terms of scripture, this is another big honking deal of a covenant. And to be fair, they're all big deals. Yeah, all the sure. covenants that God makes with his people, when he does that, that's a big deal. But this one figures very prominently throughout all of scripture. And uh, a great many of the controversies that pop up in the New Testament center around how we're supposed to understand and live with the Mosaic Covenant as Christians. Mm, really? Yeah. That like, is yeah. intriguing. Mm-hmm. Go back and read uh, you know, Galatians and Romans sometimes, and you're just going to see all these yeah. Crazy things, which we'll talk about a little bit. So, yeah, this is also just for fun. Also occasionally called the Sinai Covenant because it was ratified and established at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. So some people call it that. Most people call it the Mosaic Covenant. But just in case you're wondering, where's the Sinai Covenant figure in? It is one of the same. Yes. The Sinai Covenant is the Mosaic Covenant and vice versa. Because long story short, you got the Israelites coming out of Egypt, saved by God, numerous enough now to constitute a whole nation. And of course, nations need laws in order to maintain the peace and whatnot. Pretty helpful. Yeah, you got to have those. When you're talking like, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, Mm. you can't just have this general like, hey, you know, let's... (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Be nice or whatever. It's like, no, that doesn't work. So when the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai, it's exactly what God does. He gives them 
laws. Mm. But what makes the Mosaic Covenant so special is that we're not just talking about laws in general, like Hammurabi's Code or something like that, right? We all familiar? We all remember Hammurabi's Code? We do, you know, yes. Like in eighth grade, exactly. you know, like world history or something like that. When we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant, we're talking about the laws of God. They were given by him and they were not designed merely to help constitute a nation. Like we're not just talking about like a charter document or just like a constitution. Right. These are given to help establish the covenant relationship between God and his people. This is here to say... God will be their God and they will be his people. Yeah. That, I think, maybe is a bit unexpected. Mm-hmm. You would actually think, given their history, this is just meant to keep them in line. <laughs> you know? And at least, like, you know, timeline, I realize there's there's problems ahead and there's problems behind. <clears throat> yes. But uh, you should give them a little slack and it's golden calf here. Strike the rock there. It's, you know, I don't like this magical bread. You know what I mean? This It's always something. Um, so it's like, please, please, people, here are some laws, for goodness sake. That's kind of what I expect. <laughs> sure, um, yeah, like but, the fed up, you know, like, yeah, oh my gosh. You can't handle this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, see, this was like also a vehicle for the covenant to highlight a more more intimate connection is sort of interesting. Yeah, it really is. And um, you could put it in other words, like when we think about the Mosaic Covenant, we need to remember that contrary to perhaps our initial inclinations, the law is actually not the preeminent motif of the Mosaic Covenant. Hmm. Covenant is prominent in the Mosaic Covenant. It's in the name, right? It's a covenant. So that's the preeminent motif. You can even see this at play in the way that the Ten Commandments are given. Oh, really? Yeah, because God doesn't begin the Ten Commandments straight out of the box with, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Like, that's not how he starts. He starts the Ten Commandments and gives them by saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the unique loving relationship that God already has with Israel, that's already established, already in existence. That's how he begins the Ten Commandments. Hmm. So he's grounding the law in the covenant relationship and the fact that he already is their God. He already loves them. He has already redeemed and delivered them. Yeah. I think sometimes there's this idea that like, all oh, the Israelites had to merit their redemption from God. And like, no, 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 that was never, <sighs> never the case. The Israelites were not going to earn a caring covenantal relationship with God by keeping his laws. Rather, God was giving them his laws because he already loved them, right. because he was already their God, and he wanted the best for them. So you could think of it the way that O. Palmer Robertson puts it. He said, God is here renewing an ancient commitment to his people by the covenant of Moses. Because hmm. you remember, we talked about it in the last few episodes on this, is like he established a covenant with Abraham. Okay, like right. Like that's already a promise in place to say, I'll be your God to you and your offsprings after you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Like that's already established, mm-hmm. already happening. You didn't have to earn that. It's already there. All right. So the laws come in as, in a certain sense, you could describe it as a benefit of that relationship, yeah. something that helps cement it. And if that's true, we may be asking, you know, what makes this covenant so unique, right? Like if we're making the primary aspect of it, oh, God's covenantal relationship with his people, which has already been established, right? There's nothing new there. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes this so unique? Like, why are we even talking about it? And uh, Robertson is, again, helpful here because he says that the Mosaic Covenant manifests its distinctiveness as an externalized summation of the will of God. So, Whereas the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had a sense of God's will in general. You know, they had those promises and the sense that he cared for them and he would tell them to do specific things, you know. But 
that was really not a full summary of God's will. And here in the giving of the law, that's what you get. You get a full summary of God's will made explicit through the physical inscripturation of the law. So it's not as if God speaks and then just like words do when you speak them, they're dead Mm. on the air, right? Like that's it. Once they're gone, they're gone, so to speak. The physical inscripturation of the law changes that. It changes the nature of God's revelation of himself because Mm. now you have a written record of what's taking place, what's transpiring and and God's commands at his will. So now there are no questions about what he commands and what he permits and things like that. So I hadn't necessarily thought of this before, but there's actually, I think, great cause for the Israelites to take heart in this moment. Mm, mm -hmm. Because not only is this a huge reaffirmation of commitment, maybe you could even argue identity because they're so uniquely set apart in this. Yeah. And he actually, to interrupt you there right in the middle of that, but like he calls that out specifically in the giving law. He's like, you are a chosen nation. Yeah. You will be a nation of royal priests unto me. So he definitely draws that out. Yeah. So it also, I think, suggests God is kind of taking them seriously. Yeah. As opposed to like whining, sniveling brats. They they so often put that foot forward. Um, You know, but like, you know, it's like, here's some like grown up rules. You're at the point of nationhood. So here are the tools to legitimately like live into that. Mm -hmm. And I think from that point of view, God is basically, seems like he's trying to set them up for a success for a future. Yeah. Is that outside of the realm of possibility? No, no, no. Because it's like, I was actually doing my reading in Leviticus and in chapter, is it 15 or 16, 19? Now I'm blanking on which chapter it is. Sometimes I start blending together, but in Leviticus, like when he's talking about the sex ethics of the nation of Israel, he frames it in terms of the nations before you didn't practice what I'm telling. Like they, they just did, like they basically had at it, you know, they, right. they did all kinds of craziness and it brought wreck and ruin upon them. Mm. Spiritually, it of course like brought judgment upon them, like all this crazy stuff. So he is absolutely setting them up for success. Like, and that's how he framed it. He's like, I am commanding this unto you so that you may live long in the land and so that you may have blessing and that mm. you may have peace with one another. And, you know, you're not like killing each other because, hey, you took my wife and you did this and you right. did that. And so, yeah, he's absolutely doing that. But I think the big questions that always come up around the Mosaic Covenant have to do with how we, as 21st century Christians living in America, are to understand the laws that are given under Moses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, because like, we can look back and say, that was nice for Israel. <laughs> Even myself, through much of my reading of scripture, especially when I was younger, I would just kind of plow through books like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and be like, well, I'm just glad that doesn't apply to me anymore. And that was it. You know, like that was just, that was my takeaway. <laughs> right. That was it. You know, <laughs> right, which like, sure. Hey, whatever, you know, I mean, in a sense, yeah, sure. But that's a pretty weak, you know, (laughs) pretty weak reading of it. But that does raise the question, what are we supposed to do with all these laws and commands? And this is an incredibly important and complex issue that, as always, we will solve in just a few minutes. That's great. Wink. That's what I want to (laughs) hear. Ding. (laughs) (laughs) No, so uh, briefly, because we can't touch on everything here, but one of the most important things to recognize is uh, the different categories within the law itself. Hmm. So there are, broadly speaking, and if you've done much study in this, you're probably even familiar with these terms, but there are ceremonial, civic, and moral laws. So the ceremonial laws would have to do with Israel's religious worship. So like temple regulations, laws concerning sacrifice and whatnot. The civic laws would have to do with how Israel was to be governed as a nation. It's like laws pertaining to the king. Like the king can't acquire many chariots and he can't do this. And he uh, can't do that. You know, what'd you do with so many chariots? Yeah, that's right. You know, trust in them instead of God. Ah, I see. <laughs> Completely almost off topic sidebar, by the way. But did you know, it's interesting when you read through the account of Solomon's kingship, those regulations about the king or 
Deuteronomy, and Solomon violates every single oh one. God. There's not one he leaves oh, unviolated. No. So that's if you just want to do a study on that, that's wow. just fun and sad. But um, so you got the civic laws, so that has to do with how Israel's governed as a nation. And then you have moral laws that are transcendent commands. They apply across time and space, such mm. as you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. Like those are pretty, you know, those two, apply. Two at the top. Yeah, really. <laughs> right there. You really, you don't want to be messing around with those. So in short, we don't need to keep the ceremonial law because its primary purpose was to point us to Christ and he fulfilled it. The book of Hebrews is replete with that whole theme. We don't need to keep the civic law because we're not under a theocratic Israelite monarchy. Like we're not citizens I know, I of it. That. I just looked outside and thought, this doesn't, wow. this doesn't smell like a theocratic Israelite monarchy to me. I don't think so. It and you know, Ethan, like he loves the smell of an I Israelite do. theocratic monarchy I in the morning. I spot it a mile away. <laughs> He's got like dog-like scent when it comes to that. That's true. That's true. I'll find it. (laughs) Oh, and then obviously the moral law we do still keep because the Holy Spirit has empowered us to obey it. In fact, I think you see, I didn't double check this, so I'd be leery about saying it. Fact check me, but I'm pretty sure every moral command in some modified form reappears in the New Testament. I wouldn't find that easy to believe. Yeah. So at this point, we may be thinking, wow, so let's just pay attention to the moral laws and skip everything else. Again, Mm, like I didn't know. It's like, oh, that's nice. Doesn't apply to us. Whatever. Let's just you know, save ourselves the bulk of time reading all those arcane, archaic regulations. <laughs> and that would be a mistake because all those laws still teach and reveal something to us about the God we're in covenant with. Yeah. They still do. I would assume if that were the case, if there was no need to read them whatsoever, why even have them in the canon of scripture? Right. Funny enough, the ancient heretic Marcion made exactly that. He was like, <laughs> huh. these, we should just take these out of the oh, canon. Yes. Like, the, just be the, done with that. Forget the entire Old Testament yes. fellow. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's who it was. Yeah. He was like, forget it. You know, exactly like that, too. No, go to the council. You're like, yeah, he I made declare. that sound. <laughs> They're like, oh, interesting. Don't go on. Astounding argument. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul gives us an example of how we can approach the law like this. When he wrote to the Corinthians about the right that ministers have to receive wages for their work, the way he comes at this is so, at first glance, you're like, how did you get that? But then you think about it more and it starts making sense. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 12. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the ground. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And what he's getting at there is to say, the reason you didn't muzzle the ox when it was treading the grain is because... You wanted the ox to eat Hmm. as it was going. So like it didn't starve itself. Okay. It didn't become weak in its work so that it could keep plowing your field and making the farm work. And so what he's saying there is that, okay, yeah, like you don't want to like be cruel to your beasts. Uh, Solomon writes about that. But underneath that is an even greater truth. Mm -hmm. So like he's arguing from the lesser to the greater here that like if God takes that kind of care for oxen, if he wants them to be well supplied in their work, the same surely is true of the ministers who are basically doing that kind of work. They are plowing in your midst and they ought not be muzzled. It should be taken as a pattern of behavior. Yes, exactly. And that's just like coming at the law that way. Like when you ask yourselves those questions, it takes time to think through it like that. That's part of the problem. If you're reading through whole chapters of Leviticus, you're going to have a hard time like (laughs) thinking through that. But for example, I'll take another weird one from my reading recently. There's this weird little command and it seems so out of place wherever it shows up. It shows up twice, I think in Leviticus. It's you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Which again, like, yeah, like, okay, kind of oddly specific. Why is that in there? Again, aside from like, okay, you don't want to be cruel 
cool to like there's just your a lot animals, of you know, like, around but there's that. a lot of weirdness. And if you think about that, what's happening is you've got a young animal being destroyed by the very thing that was meant to give it nourishment. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, you can't do that. That's wrong. Yeah. It's a bit perverse. The same holds true for us. Like that, which is meant to give nourishment, say to like a child, you cannot use that to destroy a child. Hmm. So like if you say a parent, parents are supposed to raise their children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. Hmm. If your parent, let's say, is using scripture to justify abuse, to I say like children are called, you know, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother. If you use that command to say, you must do everything I say without exception, or I'm going to like bruise the crap out of your face yeah. and I'm going to starve you and lock you in the basement to show you. You are violating that Levitical command about boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. Like mm. that's the truth underneath that. There's a wow. special place in hell, dare I say, for people <laughs> who don't repent of that. But that's the kind of thing you see all over the law. And like under those weird regulations, it almost sheds a new light on those yeah, ideas. Sure. Again, that's sort of the value of those commands within the context of the Mosaic Covenant for Christians. And again, the entire book of Hebrews is based basically an exposition of Levitical laws around the priesthood and how they reveal Christ to us. True, yeah. You could read Hebrews and get through it, but if you don't have a basic understanding and orientation to the Levitical laws and you're not familiar with them, you're going to have a harder time understanding it Okay. and seeing how he makes sense of those arguments. And here's the other thing at the end of the day, perhaps most important of all, is that as Paul makes clear in places like Galatians 3, the law given under the Mosaic Covenant was basically a schoolmaster that was meant to bring us to Christ. <laughs> the law is holy and righteous and good. We're not saved by the law. We can't ever be saved by the law. But it was a tutor. It was meant to be a schoolmaster. It was kind of meant to discipline us and show us, hey, you can't do this. Like, you cannot grow up on your own. Right, yeah. Like, you cannot, to paraphrase Frederick Buechner, you cannot become who you are on your own. Hmm. That was meant to bring us to the feet of Christ and say, like, you have to do this for me, basically. Like, right. you have to empower me, transform me, help me, all those things. The problem is, is that our temptation, just as... It was for the Jews in Christ's day is to look at the law and think, this time I must imply that we can keep the commands and live. And Jesus and the apostles go over against that all the time and say, the whole point of that is to say, you can't. Like, you should be able to read that. Because Moses does say it's like, he who does the command shall live by them. And the whole point of that is not to imply you can. The whole point is you look at that as if someone said, hey, if you jump over the moon, you can live. (laughs) Like, you know, anyone who told you that, you'd be like, I can't do that. And they would say, exactly. Yeah. And that's part of that point. It's like, not no, of without, course you can't do that. Not without Elon Musk. Right. <laughs> All hail Elon <laughs> Musk. So it was preparing us to go to Christ for grace, mercy, and righteousness. And um, the law was telling us, to put it another way, to go back again and again to the God of the covenant. Yeah. To go back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments and say, he is the Lord who brought us out of the house of slavery. Let us go to him for deliverance again. So... Hmm. Yeah, in short, that's the mosaic wow. covenant. Yeah, see, like all kinds of treasures there, that, you know, if you just look at it and say, doesn't count anymore, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you know, if technically, but also no, you know, yeah. missing out on a lot. So anyway, that's it for you wow. all in a quick episode. Hey, thanks as always for listening. And uh, if you have any questions about that or anything else, you can always email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can interact with us on social media. And uh, if you wanted to leave us an honest five-star review in the little Apple Hmm. podcast platform thingy-mabobber. We won't stop you. We won't stop you. There's no regulation in Moses about that, except thou shalt not lie. So don't, I said honest. Right. Honest five-star review. Right. If your honest review is a four-star, maybe just juice it a bit with some good adjectives. That's right. Hey, thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm